0: Good morning. Good to be with you today. Thank you so much for inviting us to be part of your mission Sunday. It's an honor to be here and uh, representing Wycliffe this morning. In 1917, a young American named Cameron Townsend arrived in Guatemala to distribute Spanish Bibles among the Quechiquel people. But he quickly discovered that most of them did not speak or understand Spanish nor did they have a written form of their own language. So Townsend abandoned his attempts to sell Spanish Bibles, and he began living among the Ketchikals. He learned their complex language, he created an alphabet for it, he analyzed the grammar, and he translated the New Testament in the remarkably short span of ten years. Over time, Townsend came to the conclusion that every man, woman, and child should have access to God's word in their own language. He had no idea that there were more than 7,300 languages in use around the globe. But that knowledge would not have deterred Cameron Townsend. With other like-minded colleagues, he founded Camp Wycliffe in 1934 as a linguistics training school. He borrowed the name Wycliffe from the pre-Reformation hero John Wycliffe, who first translated the Bible into English. By 1942, Camp Wycliffe had expanded to form two organizations, Wycliffe Bible Translators and the Summer Institute of Linguistics, now SIL International. Today, SIL and Wycliffe partner with national Bible translation organizations and church denominations worldwide to translate God's word, promote literacy, and encourage the use of translated scriptures. Our vision at Wycliffe is a world where translated scriptures lead to transformed lives among people of all nations. And this we firmly believe this morning, that no one should have to learn English to read the word of God. And it seems funny to say that, but you know that even here in Canada, prior to 1867, there were several translation projects underway for Canada's indigenous languages. But as we moved west with the completion of the railway, someone had the idea that it would be easier and better just to teach everyone English. And Bible translation projects literally ceased for almost 100 years here in Canada. And sadly, we know how that turned out. And so Wycliffe believes that you and I and everyone in our world should have the Bible in a language that they understand the best. Wycliffe is committed to, to four pillars. Bible translation is the first, Bible engagement is the second, the third is literacy, and the fourth is capacity building. And this morning we're going to be talking primarily about translation and Bible engagement. At Wycliffe we talk about the reality of Bible poverty. And when you think about poverty, often you think about uh, what poverty means in our world, and that generally means a, a shortage of resources, a shortage of food. But the term Bible poverty means two different things. It refers to those, firstly, who have never had a Bible in their language, and then it refers to those of us who have more access to the Bible than ever before, but we don't engage with it as we should. We talk about the world's Bible-less people. Look at this, uh, look at this slide for some statistics this morning. There are 7,388 languages in the world, and look at this: only 10% have the complete Bible translated. Only 10% of all those languages have the complete Bible translated. 37% have portions of the Bible translated. And there are 54% of the languages without a single Bible verse translated. Those seem like huge numbers, and they are. But think about it. How many languages do you know? How many languages do you think we have represented in this room? maybe 30, 40 languages possibly represented in this room. All the major language groups of the world have the Bible in their language, right? English, Spanish, French, German. You can, you can think of all the major languages. But the vast majority of language groups still have yet to have a Bible translated in a language that they understand. Look at this next slide. The world has 7.9 billion people. One and a half billion do not have a full Bible in their language. 128 million still need translation work to begin in any way within their language group. So you and I have the Bible in our language. Our mission at Wycliffe is to provide scriptures to all these minority languages that have no scriptures in their language. Wycliffe Canada specifically is working on 18 projects all over the world in places you may have never heard of, from the Pastaza region of Peru to the end cluster in Cameroon, West Africa, and everywhere in between. As Pastor Daniel mentioned this morning, we're going to focus for a few minutes on a a population group, an unreached group. It's probably the largest uh, unreached group in the world, and that's the deaf. Do you realize that 1.5 billion people in the world suffer from hearing loss? So look at your spouse this morning and say, he's talking about you. (laughs) You've heard that before. But over 430 million people in our world are completely deaf. They're not able to hear at all. And only 2% of the deaf have ever been exposed to the gospel. And as I talk about these statistics and as I speak to pastors and, and church leaders all the time, I often have people will say to me, well... They're deaf, they're not blind, so they can read, right? The reality is, if you've never been able to hear, you probably can't read. Because as you look at a page of, of printed words, you, you make a phonetic connection in your mind, so you're, you're kind of reading in your head, and so you need to be able to have a, a context for those words, but if you've never been able to hear, then you can't read, And so those that are deaf need something special to be able to help them understand. They need a sign language Bible. And uh, just behind me, you're going to see scrolling for a few minutes uh, what this actually looks like. Uh, If you go to ASLbible.com, you'll actually be able to access the entire Bible by American Sign Language. And, And imagine the complexity of translating the Bible into sign language. There are actually 350 sign languages in the world today, but only one has a Bible, and that's American Sign Language. And that's only a few years old. So think of the millions of people in our world that have no access to scripture because they're deaf. It's incredible. You here at Unionville have supported a Wycliffe member, and we we can't mention his name this morning. We're going to speak with him tonight in the Zoom room. But, um, but you've been supporting him for many years. Uh, and he's a project manager in a sensitive region of the world uh, dealing with deaf translation. And we're going to be chatting with him later, uh, later today, this evening. Uh, he currently manages this translation process in, in several sensitive regions. And we can't disclose it for his own safety and for those that he works with. But there's a huge need in our world for translation for the deaf. Our Peace River Project, and again in a sensitive region of Southeast Asia, will provide a sign language Bible for 540,000 people. It's an incredible need in our world. And so, so Wycliffe exists to provide this solution to Bible poverty for the Bible And this is an incredibly uh, pr- uh, complex process. Uh, how many of you speak more than one language? A few of you? Okay. I barely speak English on a good day, so forgive me. I'm not a linguist. Uh, I raise funds to help uh, translators do the work of linguistics, but linguistics is incredibly uh, complex. Um, Google Translate, as amazing as it is, is great for ordering dinner in Mexico or finding a washroom. It's not great for translating the very Word of God. And so translation itself is incredibly complex. We ask the questions, uh, who in our world still need a Bible translated? Uh, How many people actually speak uh, that language? Uh, What format suits them best, written or recorded? Perhaps a a video translation like we've we've talked about? And then we get into the complexities of, of, of Bible translation, creating translations from original languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, uh, into new languages. Where they're not translating an English Bible into all these new languages. They're translating Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic uh, into Greek. And there's a slide here that just shows the 15 steps of Bible translation. We're not going to go through them all, uh, it's very complex. The print might be too small for you to read. But I show this slide to you just to help you understand that it's, a, it's an incredibly complex process. It begins with, with exegesis of the original languages. What do the, what do the words actually mean? Then they create a draft of those verses. Then they refine the draft. Then it goes to our linguistics department. They ask test questions about the text. Then they do another draft. Then they compare that draft to the new revised standard version and they check it. They do a naturalness check. Does this version or translation make sense in the language? Then they do a partner check with other, with other language groups. Then they do a back translation. They, kind of, they translate it in reverse to make sure that it's clear. Then they do another New Revised Standard Version check on the back translation. Then they go through and they make sure all the key terms uh, in the Bible are clear. All the, all the clear terms in the Scriptures like Holy Spirit and, and salvation forgiveness, hope, grace, they make sure all those phrases are clear. They go through for section headings in the Bible. They do a consultant check, and then they can go to pre-publication before they actually print the Bible. So it can actually take up to 10 years to translate a Bible from scratch in a brand new language. Translators develop a team within their community. Uh, Every word is considered, tested for clarity and accuracy, And again, over over a 10-year process, sometimes more, they can complete a New Testament translation. And it's very costly to do this as well. Uh, In addition to the missionary translator, the team on the ground needs to be supported. And over the course of years, we've determined that on average, it costs $47 per verse to translate the Scripture. 47 bucks a verse. So the Gospel of John is just over 1,000 verses. So in round, t- round terms, you're looking at about $50,000 to create or translate the Gospel of John from scratch, and that's just the Gospel of John. So you're looking at over a million dollars over a 10-year period to create one translated full Bible. It's an incredibly process, incredibly complex process. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, do you have your Bibles today? Can I see them? See a few Bibles. We used to do sword drills. Remember those sword drills where you, you, you call it a Bible verse and everybody says charge and then you've got to find it and the first person to stand and reads it wins? It's not fair now because most of you or many of you have your Bible on an iPhone and that's super fast. So that's not even, that's not even a competition anymore. With your Bible this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 4. Uh, Pastor Daniel mentioned that a few weeks ago he preached on the temptation of Jesus uh, found in these verses, and, uh, and this morning I'm not going to be preaching on the temptation of Jesus himself, but, but I love it when you read a passage of scripture that you've read many times before and, and you read something kind of new to you or something stands out in a fresh way, kind of a, kind of a new nugget, and that's, that's what I love about the Bible is you read it, it doesn't matter how many times you read it, you, you can't read it once and be done with it. You, you go back to it and you read it again, and, and something jumps out at you or stands out in a new way, uh, depending on what you're, what you're looking for, what you're going through in life. And this happened to me when I was reading Matthew chapter 4 some time ago. Matthew 4 verse 1 says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And, and that in itself is a message for another day. But after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now understand in this, in this, in this passage, after 40 days with no food, Jesus is literally, literally starving. How many times have you come home from work at the end of the day and said to your husband or wife, man, I'm starving. You're not starving. You, you might be hungry, but you're not starving. And, and Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He had had no food, and he's starving. He's hungry. And Satan comes to him, and he tempts him. Satan says, look at all these, all these stones around you. He was in the desert, right? There plenty of stones and, and rocks. And, and Satan tempts him to turn those stones into warm, warm from the oven, fresh bread, slathered in butter. I'm making your mouth water yet. You can taste it now, can't you? You can smell it. And Jesus is, is, is hungry. He's in the desert. He, he desperately needs food to eat. And he's legitimately tempted because could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? Of course, it was within his power to do that. And how tempting it it would have been to do that. He, He would have been within his power to do so. But Jesus knew that there was something more important than physical food. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Something more important than even physical food. And if you can't understand those words that come from God, then what chance do you have of being spiritually healthy and, and being fed of growing and maturing? And as I read this, this verse, I'm thinking, this, this is Bible poverty. You know, we want people to learn about Jesus, and we want them to grow in their faith. But if they don't have access to the very words of God, how can that happen? It can't. And so in our world exists this, this, this Bible poverty. People don't have access to the word that they need. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Now, as we read Scripture, we are reproved. That means our, our errors are pointed out and we are stopped in our tracks. And then it says we are corrected. That means we're we're turned around from the harmful ways we've been going and pointed in the right way. And thirdly, we are trained in righteousness. That is, the Bible enables us to be trained to grow in righteousness. But if we don't have access to the very words of God, none of that can happen. And if Jesus believed that, that the words of God were more important than actual food, than actual bread, how important should his words be to us? And then Jesus takes the analogy further. He said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He said, I am that word. How do people have access to every word that proceeds from the mouth of God unless unless they have it in their language? And I would challenge you this morning, where would you be if someone hadn't translated the Bible into English for you? You may not know this, but God did not speak in English when he gave us his word. When he, when he spoke in the Old Testament and to Moses and the prophets, Hebrew was the language that, that would have been used. In the New Testament, in, in Paul's writings, it was, it was Koine Greek. It, wasn't, it wasn't, certainly wasn't English. Jesus did not speak English. Neither did he have blue eyes and blonde hair and a British accent. Jesus spoke Aramaic. But at some point in history, that word was translated into a language that you and I can understand. And and you hold that word in your hand this morning, the very words of God in a language that speaks to your heart. You have it this morning. You have access to it. Psalm 119, 105, you've heard these verses before. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp, a shepherd would use a lamp for, for short-term guidance so he, could, so he could see the path in front of his feet so he wouldn't stumble and fall. They would use it as a light for, for long distances to see further down the road like the, like the high beams on your car. They allow you to see a long way. That's what God's Word provides for us. It gives us light. It, it gives us guidance. And, and if you don't have it in a language that you can understand, you don't have that light. You don't have that guidance. And this is where we get to Bible poverty as it applies to the rest of us. Think of all the issues that we face, political issues, moral issues, discussions around gender and sexuality, relationships, finance, and of course, religion and spirituality. All of these issues are addressed in Scripture, if not specifically, then in principle But if we don't know the Bible well enough, then we can't respond to those issues. In 2014, there was a a survey done called the Bible Engagement Survey, and it asked this question, are Canadians done with the Bible? Watch this uh, this short video clip.
1: Are Canadians done with the Bible? Are Christians done with the Bible? These are shocking questions. Did you know that 67% of Canadians say they are Christian? but just 11% of us read the Bible at least once a month. Most Canadians are not reading and not even interested in the Bible. How do we know? Canadians have been asked about their Bible reading habits for years, most recently in 2013 with the Canadian Bible Engagement Study conducted by the Canadian Bible Forum and the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. What we discovered is alarming. Since 1996, weekly Bible reading has declined by nearly half, 47% in Canada. Most Christians seldom read the Bible, and many never read it. Hold on, you say, it's not that bad. People are just busy. If Canadians had time, they would read the Bible more. But that's not what Canadians told us. It goes much deeper than that. People's confidence in the Bible is at an all-time low. Many Canadians no longer believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Christians question the reliability and trustworthiness of the Bible. Over the same period of time, Church attendance has been plummeting in Canada. Is it too late to change these alarming trends? Well, consider this. The Canadian Bible Engagement Study found that Canadians with real, meaningful Bible engagement have three behaviors in common. First, they are involved in a worshiping community. In fact, they are four times more likely to go to church on a weekly basis. But they do more than sit in a pew. These Canadians discuss and explore the Bible with their friends. They're having conversations about the Bible, often in small groups. And we found these Canadians have a growing confidence in the Bible as the way to know God and hear from Him. But here's the thing. Bible engagement flourishes only in communities where all three behaviors are pursued intentionally. Are Canadians done with the Bible? The research leaves us wondering. But perhaps the more important question is, is the Bible done with Canadians? There are things you can do today to re-engage your people with God's Word, and the Canadian Bible Forum is here to help. Visit the Canadian Bible Engagement Study website to download the results of the research. Find tools to assess the level of Bible engagement in your own congregation. Browse the resource library and explore Bible engagement resources that are available. And don't forget to help spread this message on social media.
0: Those are pretty shocking statistics when you think about it. and, and... I don't know what your Bible reading habits are, Uh, only you can speak to that, only you know how important the Bible is to you, but there were three things that are mentioned in that video that are so important, and that's this, and these are things, some of you are happening right here in this church, the Bible needs to be read in community, and I'm encouraged to see that you're you're doing this uh, as a a church, uh, using some really great online apps to read the scriptures together. But then the Bible has to be used in conversation, You're talking about the Bible amongst one another and then to your friends, coworkers, neighbors. And when you do that, then you have the confidence to know it, trust it, be transformed by it. But I have a sneaky feeling that many of us are not engaging with the Bible as we should. We have more Bibles than we know what to do with. Go home and count how many Bibles you have. I have 27 Bibles at home. 27, I actually counted them, 27 Bibles. But even I don't engage with the Bible as deeply and as often as I should. When I was in grade school, I think it was grade five, every student received a Gideon New Testament. You remember getting those in school? I'm getting old. Yeah, some of us remember getting those in grade five. We used to get them, they handed them out to every student in school. But we've learned that owning a Bible Uh, really isn't enough. Uh, Its wisdom is not transferred magically from your dresser drawer to your heart and to your mind by osmosis. Uh, The Bible has to be engaged with. It has to be be read. The Bible is the cornerstone to all that we know and believe about God. And it's not hyperbole to say that, that this church would not be here and none of us would be worshiping this morning had not the Bible been translated into English for us. But we need to engage with it. And this doesn't just happen. It it takes time. You have to develop the habit of, of, reading, the God, of reading God's Word and studying it. We need to study it with the same intensity that you, you dedicate to actual food. I love what's said in Acts chapter 17 about the Bereans. It says, These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. Examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Does that describe your life? Do you examine the Bible with eagerness daily to see if these things are so? Read the Bible as often as you eat real food. Last May, my wife and I were in uh, Halifax uh, doing some work with with Wycliffe, and we stayed with Bert Visser. Uh, Bert is in charge of our prayer initiatives within, uh, within Wycliffe. And as we sat down, we shared a meal with Bert. And as soon as we were finished the meal, he, he grabbed this Bible from the middle of his table. And it was obviously well-read and well-worn that the pages were, were, almost, were almost threadbare, the cover. Pages were all dog-eared and the Bible was all marked up. And, uh, and he read a passage of scripture and we prayed. As we gathered for lunch, we had our lunch meal. And as soon as lunch was over, he grabbed that Bible, he opened it up, he, he read a few verses And we prayed. Later that night, we had dinner together. As soon as we finished the meal, he grabbed the Bible, he opened it up, we read a few verses, and we prayed together. And Bert said that he and his wife had made a commitment that as often as they eat regular food, they would consume the Word of God. It just became part of their, of their daily habit. And for years, that worn Bible on the table became as important to them as actual food. They wouldn't eat food without thinking of reading some words from Scripture if you're wondering why you might be suffering from Bible poverty, if you're wondering why you might be feeling spiritually weak and spiritually malnourished, if you wonder why you might not be experiencing the the victory in your Christian life that that you thought you might, ask yourself if you're suffering from spiritual malnourishment because you're not getting access to the Word of God as you should. Are you consuming every word that comes from the mouth of God? This is spiritual poverty the rest of us. So what can you do this morning? Well, obviously, I'd like you to commit to reading Scripture. We're going to come back to that in a second, but, but pray for Bible translation. Pray for those that are doing the work around the world. Ninety-eight percent of Bible translation uh, happens through somebody involved in the Wycliffe Network, not just Wycliffe Canada, but Wycliffe U.S. and any of our world offices, Uh, We have about 450 uh, members or translators working around the world. Uh, Many of you have prayed for Wycliffe members. We're going to have a conversation with one tonight uh, over Zoom. But pray for those that are involved in the Bible translation process. Uh, They're having an incredible impact around the world. When I first joined Wycliffe a few years ago, uh, it was just at the tail end of COVID, so everything was done over Zoom. And we would have these, uh, these monthly prayer meetings. And as we jumped into the Zoom room for these prayer meetings, there would be 75 or 80 Wycliffe members on the call, almost all gray hair in the Zoom room. All these, Most of these translators had been in the field for 20, 30, 40 years. Um, their hair was gray with, with wisdom. And they had been serving in some countries for, for that long period of time, often in very lonely places, translating the Word of God with very few tools to work with. So pray for those Bible translators as they do their work. You can also give to support Bible translation. And many of you do already as you support a Wycliffe member. But Wycliffe projects require support as well. But perhaps the most important thing you can do is to commit to engage with Scripture yourself. Because as you and I value Scripture more than we currently do, then our desire to see others value it as well will grow. Do you value God's word as much as you value physical food? And that's saying something these days, isn't it? The cost of lettuce and the cost of food, the cost of everything. Do we value God's word as much as we value groceries? And I would challenge you with this question, what is your Bible worth? Four or five years ago, I had the privilege of visiting a village in Malawi. And I was actually there with World Vision. We had three pastors from London traveling with us. We were showing them the work that World Vision was doing on the ground in Malawi. And we drove several hours into this remote village, really literally in the middle of nowhere. And as we approached the gate, uh, there was almost a, a parade atmosphere. There were about 50 women that met us at the gate, dressed in their full regalia. They're singing, uh, they're dancing. And if you've ever been to Africa, you know what that sounds like, it's, it's remarkable. And they, they formed a procession, a parade, as we walked into town and they led the way. And, uh, and, and we white pastors followed behind awkwardly trying to dance, like I won't even try to imitate it because it just doesn't, you can use your imagination. It, was, it wasn't pretty, um, but, but it was, it was awesome. And, and we're marching into this village. The ladies are singing and they're dancing. And I turned to our translator and I said, what are they, what are they singing about? Because I knew it was a Muslim village. And he said, oh, he said, they're singing praise songs to Jesus. I said, yeah, but this is a Muslim village, correct? He said, yes. I said, but they're singing praise songs to Jesus? And he said, yes. He said, he said a few years earlier uh, in this village, the infant mortality rate was 50%. That means that 50% of all their children died before the age of five, mainly because of dirty water. So kids would die from from malaria, from from dysentery, from all the diseases that are carried in this dirty water. And we we walked past this, this really, a bog. And that's where they used to draw their water. And, And a woman went down into that, and she grabbed a bucket of water and pulled it out so we could see it. You could actually see The parasites swimming around in the water. I mean, it was it was that bad, but it's all that they had, and they were they were living on this water, but this water was killing them. Was it was killing their babies, and so World Vision had come in and provided a well, and so we walked next to this beautiful concrete pad, with a stainless steel pump coming out of it, and a few kids ran up and started pumping water, and this clean, fresh, clear water started flowing out of the out of the out of the pump. And as the water started to flow, the ladies started singing again, they started dancing again, the kids are splashing in the water, and they started singing more praise songs to Jesus because in their mind, Jesus provided the clean water. It was Christians who had provided this water for for their community, and they were were so grateful. As we toured the village, it was on a Friday afternoon, and uh, there was a Muslim school uh, in the village. And as we walked through it, um, there was a, a building kind of in the corner of the property, just a few windows in it. It would have been about the size of this area of pews over here. And we walked into the room. It was full of students. There were about 70 students in this room and a teacher. And as we walked into the room, they, they had led us to the front of the classroom, and they asked each of the pastors from London to recite their favorite passage of scripture from memory. It took them by surprise. They weren't expecting that opportunity, but but one by one, they began to recite their favorite verse of Scripture. And and as they're talking, it's being translated back for these students, they're they're writing feverishly in their notebooks every word that these pastors are saying. And then the teacher of the class got up to teach the Bible lesson for the day. And he opened up his Bible. You know what he had for a Bible? It was a spiral-bound notebook like we used for school, just the wire binding. They didn't have God's Word in their language, but he had heard an audio-recorded Bible of the language, and he took the Gospel of Mark, and he translated it himself by hand into this spiral-bound notebook, and that was his Bible. And it was dirty. The pages were torn. You can imagine those, those, those books aren't built to last. But, but they had literally devoured this book and it was, all, it was literally worn out from, from leafing through the pages that he had written that he would written by hand. And, I, and I'm watching him read this and, and I realized that just before I left on this trip to Malawi I had decided it was time for me to get a new Bible because I, had, I thought I had worn my Bible out. So I bought a new Bible and it was this beautiful goat skin covered ESV I think it was about 150 bucks. You can go on Amazon and find them. They're not not inexpensive. I figured this this Bible will last me the rest of my life, and it was so important to me to have this this goat skin line Bible. And here's this teacher with a classroom classroom full of, of eager students, hungry for the Word. And he's reading from a Bible that he wrote it by hand in a spiral-bound notebook. And it made me ask the question, how much do I value the Word of God that I have? And how many of us get up on Sunday morning to go to church and and we're saying, okay, where did I leave my Bible? Uh, I think it was last Sunday when I saw it last. Where, Where is it now? If it's not on the app on your phone... There's something about having an actual physical Bible in your hand, the actual word that you can flip through the pages and read. And I've, got some, I've had some vision issues the last couple of years, and so the, the print is a little hard to read. So I'm grateful for the tools that we have to be able to, to read the Bible on an iPad or an iPhone, and nice big text. And you can get large print Bibles too, I know that. But there's something about holding this book in your hands and appreciating its, its value and its worth, not for what you paid for it but for what this book does to your heart, for what it brings to your life. And and I have to ask myself the question, and I ask you the question, what is your Bible worth? What is it worth to to bring this book to the thousands of minority languages and language groups, the, the millions and millions of people that don't have access to God's Word in their language Time and time again, we see people receiving their own Bible for the first time. And it's amazing. When you see the pictures, it's, it's, it's almost always the same. You hand them the Bible, and they immediately clutch it to their chest. You couldn't, you couldn't pry it out of their hands if you tried. Yet we go hunting for our Bible. What, did we leave it in the car? Is that on my dresser? Or where did, have you seen, anybody seen my Bible? I'm not sure we value this book like that. Deal Moody said, The Bible was not given for our information, but our transformation. Often we read the scriptures for, for instruction, for information. But the Bible was given to us for our, our transformation, our change of life. And God gave us his word to take to the world. It's so appropriate that we talk about this on a mission Sunday because this is, this is the basis of all that we know and all that we believe. And the Spirit takes these words and applies them to your heart and to your mind and changes things. Now, I, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what your world is like I know what my world is like. I know the challenges that I face. And I know that God's word equips me to deal with those challenges, but we need to value it. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? We're going to reflect on a few truths here today, but but ask yourself this question. Do you really believe that the Bible is transformative? Do you really believe that the Bible has the power with the Holy Spirit to, to change things that the Bible has the power to transform your life, your family, your community, your church, your country, even your world. And listen to these these words from Psalm 119. These These are words simply about the Bible itself. And as I read these verses, Let's see if you can apply them to your life this morning and ask if they're a challenge to you today. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way, in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste sweeter than honey to my mouth. Father, this morning we hold in our hands your very word. Not, not in some abstract way Father as we, as we read the words of scripture they're your, they are your words and Lord these words have the power to, to change us to bring transformation to us to our community to our world but Lord we must engage with it it doesn't happen magically it doesn't happen automatically Father it needs to be absorbed and assimilated into our heart, into our mind. Father, I thank you for the example of uh, my father-in-law. And uh, no one here knows, knows who he is, Father, but he served you as a missionary for decades. But now, Father, his, his mind is, is racked with, with dementia Yet when you ask him to pray before a meal, Father, your word just, just comes from his mouth. And though his mind is, is, is starting to, it's gone, it's, it's racked, Father, your word remains. And it's because he spent so many years, Father, reading and ingesting your word. It's, it's a part of his system. It's, it's in him for good. And Father, I pray that we would have that same commitment to your word. That it would nourish us and feed us and strengthen us. So when life gets tough and gets difficult, uh, your word is there. We don't have to go hunting for it. It, It's in our mind. Your word. Father, this morning we pray for those in our world who have yet to hear your word in their language. Father, that you would use us to, to bring your word to them. We pray for those who are engaged in Bible translation around the world this morning. Thank you for this church's commitment, Father, to to those members and those people doing that work. Father, we stand behind them in prayer. We stand behind them financially this morning because their work is so important. But, Father, this morning for us, I pray that we would engage with your word. Lord, that if Bible poverty exists in my heart, that you would apply your word to that poverty. Lord, that we might experience the health and the growth and the maturity that that you would have for us because we are students of your word, because we are partakers of your word, because we study your word. May your word be sweeter than honey to our mouth this morning.